So we continue today in the book of Esther. We covered the first two chapters, most of the first two chapters. We still got a little bit left in chapter two that we're going to cover today. Let me catch you up if you're not familiar with the story of Esther. Basically, what's happened is there's this uh, the Israelites have been taken into captivity. Uh, they're taken away from their home. They've been exiled. That's the big churchy biblical word we like to use. They were exiled and they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Then there's, uh, you know, the, the, the Persians that they, they kind of come along and kind of take control. And, and we end up in the place where we are. It's about 480 years before Christ. And we've got King Xerxes who is in control of Persia. This is where we are right now. This is where the Israelites are. This is where this story happens. It happens in Persia. And, and where we are right now is evil King Xerxes. He's kind of gotten his men ready to attack Greece. And, and turns out, you know, if you want to read, if you want to see the story about all that, you can go watch the movie 300 or whatever. So anyway, he attacks Greece. He gets his rear end handed to him like he comes in with two million guys. And then he comes back with 5,000. It's not really good for old King Xerxes. But before that ever happens, what he does is he, him and his boys are celebrating, they're getting drunk and all this kind of stuff, and, and he tells his queen, you need, to, you need to come in here wearing only your crown, and then she's like, I'm not doing that, so he says, okay, fine, you're no longer queen anymore, and so now he's come back from, from battle, things are not going so well for the king, he's a little down, he's a little depressed, he starts thinking about Vashti, who is his queen, he's like, man, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And it's his, all of his boys that come up with this idea. I know what we'll do. We'll gather virgins from all the different provinces and we'll have like a beauty contest. This will be like The Bachelor on steroids and we will like have this amazing thing going on and it will be all about you. And the king goes, I know, I, now that, I like that idea. That's a good idea. So let's do that. So I will make a decree and that's what's going to happen. And, and we're all going to, yeah, we're going to have this big beauty contest and and then we see the picture in, in, in chapter 2 of Esther kind of coming in. And, and, and we talked about although she is imperfect and although she commits sin in a lot of ways, God is still able to use her and God is still using her and you too. If there has been sin in your life that God too can use you, you're not exempt from being used by God because there has been sin in your life. Okay, so that was the message last week. So here we kind of see things, okay, so we're changing gears a little bit. At the end of chapter 2, I left this out intentionally because it kind of switches gears, and this really ties in better, in my opinion, with chapter 3. So at the end of chapter 2, let's read what happens. Now, I want you to understand something. Esther is a Jew, okay? She's, she's, she's brought into the king. The king really likes her, and, and the king ends up making her queen because he likes her better. He gives her the last rose and like, okay, you're going to be the queen. You're going to live in the king's palace now and, and you're going to be set apart and you're going to be special and all this kind of stuff. And, and so, um, so she becomes queen and she is an Israelite. She's a Jew, okay? Well, she is raised by her uncle. His name is Mordecai. Now, Mordecai works for the king. He's, he's, he's one of the, the lead guys for the king. He actually works for the king. Let's look and see what kind of man Mordecai is because he kind of told he kind of told Esther, "Okay, keep your nationality a secret. We're going to keep it secret that you're a Jew." And, and and he's listening to God. God's giving him direction. And here we're going to see Mordecai and kind of what kind of man he is at the end of chapter two. So let's dig in to God's word at the end of chapter two of Ezra, beginning in verse twenty-one. It says this: And one day, as Mordecai uh, was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, were guards at the door of the king's private quarters. 
Uh, they became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation in Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This is the way King Xerxes did things. This is all recorded in the king of the history the the history of the king of King Xerxes' reign. So, so King Xerxes he gets wind of this plot to assassinate him by one of his dudes, Big Thana and Teresh. Cool names, right? So if you got a kid on the way, think about what to name him. Consider Big Thana or Teresh. So Big Thana and Teresh have got a plot to kill King Xerxes. Mordecai overhears it. See, so basically the way it was that there would be this like outer room kind of area where people would, would hang out and wait to get in to see the king or wait for the king to call for them. And, and here we kind of see this plot, you know, Mordecai's hanging out. He's on guard. He's taking care of things. He's doing his job. And he hears about this plot to kill King Xerxes. Remember, Mordecai is a Jew. Jews don't necessarily like the Persians. Because they're in captivity by the Persians. Now, now understand that there, there's, there's a little bit of tension here. And, and, and you're like, okay, so he's working for the king. But understand this. He overhears a conversation about assassinating King Xerxes. Now, he could take one of two positions. One of three positions, really. One would be to say, oh, I need to go tell King Xerxes. Because an assassination on him is not right. It's not okay for somebody to do that, right? So like, that's one position he could take, which we see that's the position that he took. Or another position he could take would be like, eh, so what? You know what I mean? I'll pretend like I never heard it. Now, some of us do that, don't we? We kind of take that position. We hear something bad going on. Instead of stepping in, maybe doing something about it, we'll go, eh, it doesn't affect me. What's the big deal? What do I care? And then we could, it could take the other position, and that would be that, oh, yes, old King Xerxes is going to get what he deserves, man. He's going to get it. I, I'm glad. The vengeance is coming, you know. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. See, Xerxes is going to get what he deserved. But he doesn't do that. Because I believe this speaks to Mordecai's integrity. I believe he hears about this thing. He can do something to step in and actually keep a man from dying. Even though it's not somebody that he may be particularly crazy about, he's still willing to do that because he knows it's the right thing to do. And I believe that speaks of Mordecai's character. Now, some of us have the opportunity sometimes to step in and do the right thing or intercede. And some of us are like, well, I don't want, the old school term would be, I don't want to be a tattletale. You know that? Like, you, hey, we always tell our kids, don't be a tattletale. That used to be a big thing. I don't know if it's a big thing anymore. Now we're like, yeah, tell me everything you know about your brother or sister. You know what I mean? Like, I want to know all the gory details about whatever it is that they did that they shouldn't be doing. I want you to be a tattletale to me. Please be a tattletale. But it used to be that you didn't want to be a tattletale. I know that adults are more like this. Well, it didn't really affect me. I'm not really going to do anything about it. And I don't know why God necessarily had this particular passage to line up with today's service, but maybe there's somebody here today, they've got a chance to intercede and they know that there's something going on that shouldn't be going on and they've got a chance for their integrity is being tested and whether or not they will stand up and say, this is not right, I need to intercede here, I need to do something about this situation that's not okay and it is not okay in the eyes of God. And here Mordecai, he doesn't just sit back and go, eh, whatever, it's all good. And he doesn't say, aha, the king's getting what he deserved. Instead, what he does is he tells Esther about it. 
Because he knows Esther's got an ear with the king, and Esther's going to let the king know. And I believe this speaks of Mordecai's character. Now, you would think that here we would see a big celebration in honor of Mordecai and him saving the king, right? Where is everybody getting all tore up and drinking wine and having a big feast because Mordecai has done this? Why doesn't Mordecai get a nice crown? And like, why, why, why don't we have this big celebration for Mordecai? Because of what he has done to save the king, that should be a big deal, right? We don't see that. What do we see instead? We see Big Thana and Teresh getting stuck on a pole. That, that's a celebration. Not much of a celebration in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like Mordecai's probably going, wish you could have had a little more than this there, king, you know? But I, I think if we look at Mordecai's character, we don't, we don't necessarily see that. We just... We just see that he did what was right. And, and you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to do what's right. If you do what's right, you are right. Regardless if you get rewarded for it or not. Some people are like, but I want, a, I want a big star on my shirt. I want, I want a badge. I want a medal. I want something, man. Give me a trophy, something. I did the right thing. I know that, that, that my daughter's like that, you know, like, come on, I did something good, Dad. I cleaned the bathroom and nobody told me to. And I'm like, yes, Jesus reigns and rules. It is obvious that God has spoken to you and delivered you into the bathroom. And yes, that is an amazing thing. But (laughs) it doesn't mean you necessarily get a gold star for that. It just means you saw a need, you met the need. That's what Jesus calls us to do. So, yeah, so but we have a tendency to want that, right? Like, like, give me some accolades for what I did. And Mordecai, he's He's just going about his business. Hey, I did what was right, and that's where we should leave it. As Christians, as Christ followers, as a people of God, just like Mordecai was, we're supposed to be people who just do the right thing because it's the right thing, and we don't necessarily need the accolades. If the accolades come with it, if you get a medal, a trophy, whatever, so be it. But that's not the motivation for doing the right thing. Mordecai just did the right thing because that's who he was. That's what his integrity spoke of, and that is just doing the right thing. And here, I'm not saying he's perfect. Let me, let me clarify. Okay, Mordecai's not perfect. He sins like any other man. But I'm telling you, he, right here, the example is Mordecai just doing the right thing. And now we're going to get into somebody who we don't really like so much. So here's a bad guy coming up. And we'll, I'm going to preface this by saying the bad guy's coming up. Verse, uh, chapter 3 of Esther says this. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadetha, the Agite. Over all the nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down and show him, or show him respect. Now, here we see a dude named Haman. He's not especially bad right here. We're going to see that he's bad in just a minute. But, but here, Haman has been promoted, and we're going to see what kind of dude Haman is. We're going to see what kind of person he is. We know that Mordecai has said, you know what? I'm not going to bow down to this guy. The, the king has decreed that that's what's supposed to happen. That you're, you're supposed to bow down to Haman whenever he comes by. And that's kind of above and beyond kind of what's expected about people that fall under leadership here. It's kind of above and beyond. Like, man, 
This is over the top. Yeah, I'll be nice to the guy, but I ain't got to bow down and worship him just because he walks into the room. And that's where Mordecai stands because Mordecai, being a man of integrity, says there's only one that I bow down to. And this, this harkens back to Daniel a little bit. There's only one that I bow down to, and that is the one true God of this universe. That is the person who has ultimate rule and control and authority over me. And that is why I bow down to him and to him alone. So it's not so much that uh, that, that he, he doesn't necessarily respect him as much, but it's because he doesn't respect him as much as he respects his God. And that's the reason Mordecai doesn't bow down to him. It says in verse 3, it says, In the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate uh, Mordecai's conduct. Since Mordecai had told him, told them he was a Jew. So, so Mordecai was hanging around his buddies. His buddies said, man, why do you not listen to the king's decree? The king has said you're supposed to bow down to Haman when he comes by. And then there's, there's this thing thrown in at the end there, and he had told his friends that he was a Jew. So the, the boys go, all right, so he's a Jew. We need to go tell Haman if he's going to be okay with this because this Jew is refusing to bow down to him, we'll see if Haman is all right with that. And it throws in there, he had told, he had let it slip out at some point in time that he was a Jew. So they're like, let's go see what Haman has to say that. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow to him or show him respect, he was filled with rage. This, this kind of speaks to Haman's character a little bit. He's filled with rage. Now, sometimes we get filled with rage. I'm not saying that every person that's ever filled with rage is a bad person. I'm not saying that. Sometimes I drive on I-20 a lot, okay? Sometimes I'm filled with rage and it happens, okay? I mean, it's just natural. It's, it's what happens. But, but I, I think this speaks to Mordecai's character because we'll see in just a minute what he does. He learned of Mordecai's nationality. Once again, this Jewish thing is, is, is starting to be highlighted here, that it's a big deal, the fact that he's a Jew, that he's an Israelite, and now it's starting to be a bigger and bigger deal. So he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all of the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So this is what he says. He says, oh, okay. You're not going to bow down and worship me. You're not going to bow down to me, even though the king says that that that's what you're supposed to do. He says, not only, not only am I going to take it out on you, not only do I want to have you killed, he says, I want to have everybody killed. All the Jews, all the, all the people that are of your nationality, I want you taken out. Now, does that sound like a rational, loving, caring, kind man to you? You know, he, he was filled with rage, and he, he goes above and beyond. He says, not only do I want you killed, but I want all the people that are like you killed. This is a man who has been put in charge in, in Xerxes' kingdom, King Xerxes has kind of promoted him, and now he's in charge, and, and now the king has made this decree that people should bow down to him, and, and now he's saying, all right, this guy won't bow down to me. Let's, let's, uh, let's have him and all his people killed. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, remember in the seventh year of King Xerxes' reign is when Esther was made queen. So five more years has passed here. So this, this is interesting stuff. Lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day was selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. 
Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So if, it not, if it's not in the king's interest to let them live, if it please the king, issue a decree that they will be destroyed. I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to deposit the government administrators to be posited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming this decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadetha, the Agai, and the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So he goes to the king. He says, man, there's this group of people... There's this group of people that they, they don't follow our rules. They don't follow the king's rules. They don't follow the king's laws. So I, I want us to look a little bit at the difference between the integrity of Mordecai and the selfishness of Haman and, and kind of how we're seeing the difference here. So Mordecai is not getting any recognition for the fact that he has saved the king and then Haman it all starts with this dude named Mordecai that refuses to bow down to him, right? So, so the, the, there's a difference there. Now, now, the king knows that Mordecai is the one that saved his rear end, remember? Mordecai is the one that went and told Esther, and Esther even gave credit to Mordecai saying, this is the guy that reported the plot to assassinate you. And here Haman is saying, there's a guy here, and he's part of this group of, of Israelites that refuse to obey you. Now, look, look at the difference, right? I mean, you, you see the difference between doing the right thing and the wrong thing. And for us as human beings, don't we get frustrated by that? Don't we get frustrated by that? Why, why, do, why do bad things always happen to good people and good things always happen to bad people? You ever had that struggle in your life? Like, man, I'm doing my thing. I'm going to church and all of a sudden I got cancer. All of a sudden my kids got cancer. I don't understand. God, where are you at? Why is this happening? I thought that, man, if I did what I was supposed to do, that good things were supposed to happen to me, that I was supposed to be more favored, you know, that I wasn't supposed to suffer from other stuff that the people that are non-Christians suffer from. And that is the wrong way of thinking, y'all. But I, look, I get it. I get into that trap, too. I mean, our mindset is, is that, that, that we just, we're supposed to go to church and we're supposed to read our Bible and pray and all these kinds of things, and those are good things to do. And I promise you, if you do those things, if you, you commit your life to following God, you do have peace when those other things come into your life, when the cancer strikes or when your kid gets cancer. Like, you, you all of a sudden, you're like, man, okay, I, I know this is a bad worldly situation, but I got a God who is higher than this situation. And what matters more is my heart condition, what is going on, and who I am as a Christ follower. That is what gives me peace, not so much the situations in this world. See, see, we have a tendency sometimes to slip into the un-Jesus world, the, 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 the world without Jesus. And that's one where bad things happen. We get all in a tizzy. We flail our hands and, oh, I don't know what to do. And, and I'm just crying and screaming and running around the house. And I don't know what to do. And what's this all about? And what's going to happen? And I don't know what tomorrow holds. And oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. We have a tendency to slip into that world. I've done that. And then, and then some people... They haven't been committed to their relationship with Christ. What happens is something comes into their life and, and perhaps God allows it to come into their life and they say, you know what? I haven't really been faithful in my church attendance. I haven't really been faithful in my prayer time. I haven't really been faithful in understanding what God has to say to me. So 
then, then all of a sudden they get kind of back on the right track. You've seen that happen, right? I know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll be straight up honest with you. I was more uh, faithful in my church attendance when my daughter had cancer. That's real, that's real stuff, y'all. Now, I, I will say that I, I was committed to my understanding of who God was, and I was, I was committed and trying my best to follow Jesus. But when, when, when Kenneth got cancer, I got real, real faithful. I started reading my Bible like I ain't never read it before. And I am thankful for that situation in my life that took me to that place where I was super-duper focused on Jesus. And you know what? When that happened, I got all kinds of peace, y'all. All kinds of crazy amounts of peace. Like the peace that surpasses all understanding, like that kind of peace. You know, when she's having the brain surgery and they're cutting her from here to here and they're taking her skull off the front of her face so they can get to the tumor to remove it and you're sitting there and you're overwhelmed with this tingling feeling sensation, you know what, God's got this. I don't have to worry. Jesus is right here with me. What do I have to worry about? Why aren't you crying, Kenny? Why aren't you crying, Kasha? You know that they're removing her skull right now, right? Yeah, I know, but God's just giving us a sense of peace that I can't describe. God's just overwhelmed me with this sense that no matter what happens in that operating room, that everything's going to be okay. I, I cannot explain it to you, and I wish I could give it to you, but I'm telling you that, that God's here, and he's doing something great. And then she comes out of the operating room, and we're talking to her after recovery and trying to figure out what did it feel like, what did you experience. And she said, oh, I could feel just like these hands on my head. Like I just, I felt like, She's like, I, I felt like it was God. I felt like I knew it was God. I could just feel these hands on my head. I go, he really was there. He really was there. You know, I, look, I, I get it, y'all. Sometimes we slip over in, into the, the worldly side of things and we forget how good God is in his presence and we forget all that. And, and sometimes we want to look down on other people because they aren't faithful in their church attendance and they come once a month and, and that frustrates me as much as anybody and I get all that, you know. But I'm like, the time when they're, when they're going to be hurting the most, the, the time when they're going to be seeking God the most is when something comes into their life that they weren't expecting, they didn't have plans for and it has just rocked their world. And I hope that the only thing that they will do is to look at my life and look what I did and man, they will get tied in to this, this Jesus that, that he talks about. Instead of condemning them and looking at them say, man, you would have peace if you would have done these things before. You would have peace. And look, my tendency is to tell them that too. Look, man, you would have peace if you'd been faithful and tied into Jesus and connected up with Jesus. You would have that peace. But I know that you have it. So what I'm here today to tell you is that you can have it. It's still, a, it's still available. It hasn't passed you by. And for those of you that are wondering, well, I don't have anything bad going on in my life right now. I don't have a storm in my life right now. You will have one. You will have one. And you will need this God of the Bible that we keep talking about. And you will need that peace that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. You will need it. You can call me a liar all day long, but I promise you there will be a time when you say, you know what, that stuff that Kenny was talking about Sunday after Sunday, and I came, you know, maybe once every six weeks and I would hear about it. You know what, it turns out it's true and I need it. Yeah. And my hope and my prayer is that God reveals to you how much you need it before the tragedy, before the difficulty ever hits your front door. And you become a person of integrity 
like Mordecai, not a person like Haman or King Xerxes who making this decree that, I know what, we'll just wipe everybody out. We'll get rid of the problem. That's what we'll do. Are they really going to get rid of the problem? Are they really going to get rid of the problem? Because the problem is in the heart of Haman and King Xerxes. That's where the problem is, right? But instead, they're lashing out at everybody else. So everybody else is a problem. It ain't me. It's everybody else. And so what do they do? Oh, oh Haman, he's, he's greasing the skids. He's like, tell you what, King, I know you're worried about wiping them out, and that's kind of a big deal. And, and you might frustrate the people a little bit, and they might be all confused about what are you doing. we got to murder a whole bunch of people, and that sounds crazy to me. But Haman says, tell you what, you do, what I'll do. I'll put 10,000 uh, bags of silver into, into the royal account. He's paying him off a little bit, right? And I don't, I don't know why Haman's got so much dough. I don't know why he's, he's floating in it, but he's got a lot of it. And this is like $10 million to $15 million in today's time. That's a lot of dough. I mean, like the dude is rolling in it. He's got, I mean, he's got, he got his roll in his pocket, and it's got a big old rubber band around it. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a lot of money. And he says, I'll just put $10, $15 million in the account. And that way, all the frustration that may come from, from, uh, from killing these people off or, or may cost you a little bit of money in taxes because they ain't paying taxes no more. I'll just supplement that by giving some money to the, the royal treasury. And, I, and, and King Xerxes says, man, that sounds like a good plan to me. Well, King Xerxes doesn't know right now that that's going to mean that if they kill off all the Jews, who else does that mean they're going to have to kill? Not only Mordecai, who saved his rear end, it also means they're going to have to kill... His new queen, Esther, right? He doesn't know she's an Israelite. And maybe this whole time God was orchestrating this and telling Mordecai, now's not the time, now's not the time, now's not the time. And she listened to Mordecai and said, all right, I'm not going to reveal my nationality. But if he makes a decree to kill all the Israelites, to kill all the Jews, then that means he's got to kill his favorite new bride, doesn't he? And what, what else do we see in here? We, we, we see in here, we see Mordecai and his dependence on God, obviously. We see that through his integrity. We see that through the fact that he, he called out to the king, said, look, these two guys, big thing in Teresh going to kill you. You need to be aware of this plot to assassinate you. you need to... So he's dependent on God. And we see that over and over again in Mordecai's life. Even the fact that he took Esther in to care for her, and to be there for her when, when her family was gone, she was orphaned, so he took her in. So we see a good man, a man who follows God. And then what do we see Haman? Haman's just lashing out at everybody because he's ticked at the world. And what does he do? He casts lots to figure out when, when's it supposed to happen. So he, he, he's, trying to, he, he, he's not relying on God at all. This is more pointing towards the fact that he is so worldly. He, he, he's focused on just casting lots and figuring out when this is supposed to go down. And they come up with this date, March 7th. It's like nearly a year away. Let me ask you a question. Was God in control of those lots when they were cast? <laughs> you doggone right he was. He, he's the one that, that allowed all this time. It's, it's not close. It's not going to be next week or next month. This is nearly a year later. Who do you think's in control of that? It's God. God's working this whole thing out. And these guys are casting lots thinking they're relying on some other God. The whole time, God's in control. And his favorite queen is an Israelite. She's a Jew. 
I wonder, knowing what I know about Mordecai, I wonder if he's all in a tizzy. I wonder if he's all upset. I wonder if he's thinking, man, we're all going to be destroyed and wiped off the planet. You think he is? I don't think he is. I think this devoted man of God is saying, you know what? I know who is in control, and therefore I have no concerns about some dumb king or his, or his duty put in control. King takes off his ring, his signet ring. See, the signet ring was used to, to like stamp everything, say, okay, this came from the king. This is legit. He takes it off, gives it to Haman, say, Haman, all right, whatever you say about this particular situation, it's in your hands now. You, you deal with it, okay? And he goes on to say, if you read the rest of chapter 3, it goes, they send out letters to everybody, and they, everybody's like, and they, it's interpreted in their own language, and all these provinces are getting this news about the Jews are supposed to be wiped out on March 7th. That's when it's supposed to go down. And then we see something very end, very interesting at the end here that I want to just point out to you. I'm going to just read it. It's not going to be up on the screen. At the king's, in verse 15 of Esther, chapter 3, it says, at the king's command, the decree went out. By swift messengers, and it was proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Okay, so the message has gone out, and it says, Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. Well, what does that mean? That means that the letters have gone out. They, they've said that the Jews are supposed to be killed on March 7th. That's when it's supposed to go down. And you, you guys, if you kill them, then you get to have whatever stuff they got. Okay, well, you kill them, and you can just take their stuff. And this decree goes out everywhere. And here, what do we see? See, evil King Xerxes and Haman. And what are they doing? They're sitting down to have something to drink. They're completely chill. They're just hanging out going, we got no concerns. You know why? It's not because they were focused on God. That's not the reason. They were focused on God, but they were focused on their God, and that was themselves. The whole city was falling into confusion, and they were wondering, what does all this mean? What's going on? Why is the king doing this? The city's in confusion. Haman and the king are just sitting back, drinking some wine. They're focused on themselves. All they care about is themselves. I think the world's kind of crashing around them, but they they ain't so worried. It's not because they knew God was in control. It's because they thought they were in control. That's what they thought. They thought, we got this. We're in control. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. We're in control. Let me tell you something. Control is an illusion. It's an illusion. There is only one who is in control. And I guarantee you, it ain't a king and it ain't somebody. And you ask yourself the question, why? Why, oh, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Why do they, why, why do they prosper? Jeremiah 12, 1, Jeremiah just asks God, says, God, you always are a great judge. and You always answer me when I call out to you. Why is it that, that, that good things happen to these evil people? Why are they prospering? Why are they, why are they, they dwelling in this evil place that yet all these good things keep happening to them? Let me tell you something. It's all about perspective, okay? 
It's all about how you choose to see the things that happen in our lives, whether they be good or bad. It's all about how you choose to see them. Well, let me tell you something. Every evil person in this world to date, there's a 100% chance that they have died, right? If they have not died, they're going to die. Just like all the good people of this world. A 100% chance. Either they have died or will die. Except for one. Except for one. And he was the one that was truly good. And he lives forever. And he rules and he reigns forever. And though his death looked like a bad situation because of our perspective now and how we choose to see that now because of what he did for all of us, we see, you know what? It turns out that death was actually a good thing for that one. For that one. And if you put your faith and trust in that one that was good, the only true good one that's ever lived, and you say, you know what? I've done a lot of stuff to break his heart and I have sinned against him and he was brutally punished and, and killed for me you live forever that's what God's word says that's the truth of God so when the world is crashing down around you and you feel like you don't know what you are going to do next the thing that should give you peace is the one that you serve the one the one you look around at the evil ones, you look around at the good ones, you say, you know what? It doesn't matter what's going on in their life. What matters is what's going on in my life and how I choose to see the situations that are in my life. And through the lens of Jesus Christ, it all looks like peace. Whether it's good or it's bad, it all looks like peace through the lens of Jesus Christ. So my question to you is this. Does Jesus rule and reign in your life? And has the Holy Spirit of God indwelt you in such a way so that you see everything through the lens of Jesus Christ? And when the trials and the difficulties and the struggles and the cancer and the death, when it comes, do you rejoice in Jesus Christ and find your strength in that alone? Are you looking around you at all the other stuff going on, flailing your arms? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Let me tell you, there's only one thing to do, and that is to trust God. The God that was in control in Mordecai and Haman and Xerxes' day and Esther's day. It's the same God that's in control today. Does your peace come from Him? Are the situations taking you over? Or does your peace come from Him and Him alone? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Thank you for the fact that you are in control Lord, I know that there are evil people in this world and they do evil things. And Lord, sometimes we have bitterness against them. But God, my prayer is that they would be rescued just like I was. That they would be rescued just like I was because it is true, God, that none of us are good. There is none righteous. No, not one. There's one we can put our faith in. One we can put our hope and our trust in. And he is righteous. And God, if we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him, God, no matter what we've done, We can have his peace. We can have his everlasting life. So Lord, I pray the situations of this world, the difficulties, the struggle, the strife, the cancer, the death, all of that would fade into the background. And God, Jesus, Jesus would be right in front of us and we put our focus on Jesus. I said, that's the one I want to live for. And that's the one I want to bring these other people to help them see that that's the one. That's the one we can find our hope. 
Lord, I pray that we'd be people who are so focused on Jesus that we don't see anything else. Now, maybe we haven't been faithful in our Bible study, in our attendance. Maybe we haven't been faithful in our prayer time. God, I pray that we would get refocused on Jesus and we would see that he is worthy of us giving everything to him. Thank you so much, Lord, for speaking to us this morning, revealing yourself to us, God, and for opening our hearts and opening our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.